I have trouble preparing two messages in one, for one Sunday. So we did a, pop, a pulpit switch. So Brandon came this morning and spoke at Twin Peaks Community Church and did an excellent job. You've got a great uh, um, preacher, pre- pre- uh, theologian. He, he really has an insight there. So um, we're proud of Brandon and glad to be friends with him. So he asked me to cover the, uh, the man born blind. That's John chapter 9. A man fell into a pit one day, and he couldn't get himself out of the pit. A sympathetic man came along and said, Hey, I feel for you down there in that pit, as he walked on by. An intelligent person came along and said, It's logical that someone would fall into that pit, and he kept going. The Christian scientist came along and said, You only think you're in a pit. A self-righteous Pharisee came along and said, only bad people fall into pits. The newspaper reporter asked, can I have the exclusive story of your time in the pit? The Calvinist said, you were predestined to be in that pit. The psychologist said, your parents are to blame for you being in that pit. The therapist said, believe in yourself and you can get out of this pit. Confucius said, if you'd listen to me, you wouldn't be in that pit. (laughs) Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. The Hindu said, this pit is for purging you and making you more perfect. The scientist asked, have you calculated the measurements and angles of your pit? The geologist told him, be sure to study the rock strata while you're in your pit. The county inspector asked, do you have a permit for that pit? (laughs) The IRS agent said, have you paid the taxes on that pit? (laughs) The self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. (laughs) The charismatic said, just believe and confess that you're not in a pit. The TV evangelist asked, did you bring your wallet into the pit? (laughs) The optimist said, it could be worse. The pessimist said, things will get worse. (laughs) Jesus, walking along, seeing the man in the pit, simply knelt down, extended his hand, and pulled him out of the pit. That's what makes Jesus different, isn't it? He's the only one that can save us. Only one who can rescue us. Today we're going to meet a man who was in the deepest imaginable pit. He was born blind. Begging on the street. No way to make an income but to beg. He was outcast, downcast, lowest probably condition. Not able to see, not able to provide, just begging. But Jesus, we see, came along saw the man, and lifted him up out of his pit and gave him a new life. Can you imagine what it would be like to live with total blindness? Amen. (laughs) I was waiting for that. I was thinking about you, Dr. Bravo. Worse yet, how about to be born blind? You've had the benefit of being able to see this man 
never saw anything except darkness. No concept of color, no concept of shapes, sizes, lights. I read about a blind woman who learned to read her Bible by Braille. But she lost the sensitivity in her fingers. In tears, she kissed her Bible and discovered her lips were sensitive. And she learned to read the Bible with her lips. Do you have that kind of love for God's Word? That kind of passion that you'll find any way and every way to study it? Let's pray for a minute. Lord, we pray that we'd have that kind of love and passion for your Word, that we would study it not just as a textbook, but as a life book, because it's your Word, and your Word brings life. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes. This man was blind, and Lord, some of us are blind. So now as we look to your Word, we pray that you'd open our eyes in a new and fresh way today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we see Jesus opening blind eyes. Did you know that that was one of the prophecies about the Messiah? On your own, you can read about it. Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6, promised that when Messiah came, he would make the lame to walk and the blind to see. This was a sign that he was the Messiah. And this man who has his eyes opened comes to realize at the end that Jesus the Messiah is here, the one who can open blind eyes. But Jesus used this miracle to address even a greater blindness, a greater problem. Not just physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. Physically, he got his eyesight right away. It was amazing. But his spiritual insight kind of took a while to take hold. There's a little bit of a process. We're going to look at that right now. And I think that's true with some of us. Some of us become uh, spiritually, our eyes are opened, and we have one of those Apostle Paul kind of moments where we just see the light. Others, it might take a while. It's more gradual. Now, I've given you a scripture reading. Actually, uh, Gus gave it to you. Did everybody get a page that's got the whole chapter? Now, I know that here at Calvary Chapel, you usually go through three or four chapters on a Sunday night. So this is going to be a breeze for you. One chapter is all we're going to do, but we're going to read all 41 verses of this. So I thought, rather than have us all opening our Bibles and looking at different translations, I would give you the text um, in the New American Standard Version, which is what I usually use. And so that way we can all follow along. Here we see Jesus curing both physical and spiritual blindness in this man. Let's begin with verse 1. He, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. As Jesus passed by, just happened to be passing that way. Or was he on a mission? Didn't the Bible say he came to seek and to save those who were lost? You know, a lot of people have seen this blind man and walked right by him. Jesus noticed him. You know, we see people, but we don't always notice them. Let me tell you that Jesus not only sees the multitudes, he sees the individual. You may come to a church and say, I want to be anonymous. I just want to blend in. You're not anonymous with God. He knows your name. He knows your condition. He knows everything about you. He walked up to this man and he knew exactly what his problem was. So Jesus sees us, and he knows our needs. This says he saw a man blind from birth. So he never saw his parents, never saw his mommy or his daddy. Obviously, they raised him as best they could. He couldn't have been educated too well in those days. So he became a beggar. Out there, 
begging, never seeing the sky, never seeing a sunset, never seeing a bird, never seeing a rainbow or an ocean or a river, never seeing trees or flowers or blossoms, but worst of all, never seeing his family. He could hear, he could smell, he could touch. I can't even imagine what it would be like not to be able to see. What a sad, sad condition. Verse 2, his disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? What is the assumption here? The assumption is that sickness is caused by sin. Who sinned that this man would be born blind? Well, obviously it wasn't the man because he was born that way. Maybe they didn't know that. Maybe they thought he'd become blind, but Jesus knew that this man, it wasn't his sin. By the way, that was the whole concept of Job. All of his counselors gathered around. said, you're going through all this rough uh, tribulation, all this loss, all this sickness, all these boils, because of your sin. One after another, they said, you've got something that you haven't confessed. And God in the end says, no, this was for my glory. And that's what Jesus says too. Sometimes, uh, yes, sometimes there is sickness that's connected with sin. But I don't want you to think just because I got a cold, I must have done something last week and didn't confess it. I don't think it's that, sh- that sort of uh, connection there. All, all uh, sickness is connected with sin. You know that, right? Not necessarily our own sin, but the sin that came into the world that brought sickness and death upon all, all creation. So yes, you could say it was not his sin or his parents, but the sin of the world causes disease and damage. Interestingly, it says, who sinned, this man or his parents? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but a lot of times blindness, congenital blindness, congenital blindness, babies, when they're born blind, it's because of gonorrhea, syphilis. It's uh, connected with uh, venereal disease. That's why when children are born, they put that silver stuff in their eyes uh, so that they don't lose their sight. And so the logical conclusion, these disciples said, is this man blind because of some sin of his parents or his own? And Jesus answers in verse 3. Jesus said, it was neither that this man has sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Some God, time God allows conditions so that God may get the glory in our life. We may never get our sight back. We may never get our physical abilities back. And you live in that suffering state, but it says here that God allows us sometimes that God, God's glory might be shown in Him. We must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Interestingly here, he's talking about blindness, and now he talks about I am the giver of light. I am the light of the world. You know, that's not the first time John mentioned that, the chapter before in John 8. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Obviously, we're not talking about blindness here. We're not talking about physical blindness. He says, if you are a follower of God, you'll not continue to walk in darkness. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil, the Bible says. But those who love God love light and love truth. So not only is Jesus talking about physical sight, he's talking about spiritual sight 
And that's really the intent of why Jesus is dealing with this man, not just to give him a physical healing, but to give him a spiritual healing. Verse 6, when he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. Now, I read a lot on this, and nobody knows exactly why. Why didn't he just say, be healed? Why didn't he just touch his eyes? Why did he do it this way? Spit on the ground, make clay, and apply it to his eyes. I, I think there's some fun speculation. I mean, man was made from the dust of the earth, from clay. Maybe God was forming new eyes. He's the creator, isn't he? He formed man from the dust. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he's actually... Uh, doing a physical healing with the clay. Isn't that a beautiful thought? All I know is it's quite a paradox. I mean, uh, mud in your eyes, that does not seem like a healing kind of thing. If anything, that's an irritant. Uh, that's going to cause more damage. Like there could be more damage. He's blind. And he could have said, what are you doing? He could have resisted. He could have said, what is this, some sort of joke? You put mud in my eyes? You know, we don't understand the ways of God. Maybe he had to submit, had to surrender. I mean, he'd heard about Jesus. Everyone had heard about Jesus by this time. And he did. He allowed the great physician to operate on him. Isn't that beautiful? He said, if this is what it takes, we'll do it. In verse 7, And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away, and washed, and came back seeing. I added that exclamation point. It's just seeing, period. That's kind of understated, don't you think? I mean, this is a big deal. He came back seeing. He obeyed. Went and washed his face. And when he opened his eyes, he could see water. He could see again. Where do you think he went to immediately? I know where I think he went to. He would have went right back to home he probably went there to talk to his mom and his dad. And if he had siblings, to talk to them. We don't know. We're not told. You know, this whole story of going and washing reminds me of another story. Remember in the Old Testament, there was a man who had leprosy. His name was Naaman. And when the prophet Elisha says, Naaman, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman said, what? We've got better rivers where I live. Why would I dip in the muddy old Jordan River? And his servant said, If the prophet had told you to do something great, if he told you to climb a mountain and capture a, an eagle and bring it back, would you have done that? Well, of course I would. He's, all he's asked you to do is something simple. Go wash. And he went down and washed. And he had to dip seven times. I imagine after two or three times he felt pretty foolish. Dipping in that water, looking, still seeing the leprosy. Five times, six times, no result. Ready to stomp out of there and go back and take vengeance on that prophet. His servant says, no, 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 no. Seven times. You got to obey fully. And he dipped that seven times. I imagine he stayed under the water a long time, don't you think? Held his breath as long as he could. We're not told. But I imagine the, the miracle didn't happen until the full obedience and he came out of that water, and he had hands like a child's hands, healed. You know, this man had to go to the water and wash, not because there's any power in the water, but there's power in obedience. He had to do what God asked him to do. 
I don't know what Jesus is asking you to do, but it may seem foolish to you, but you need to obey, don't you? Just like this man. He came back seeing. 2020 vision. He had better vision than you and me because he had new eyes. Just like Naaman had clean hands. This guy had brand new eyes. He could see clearly. Well, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to look around and, and see again. But Jesus was not finished with this man. By now, by the time he comes back, Jesus is gone. He's nowhere around. But Jesus is going to meet with him again and give him spiritual insight. But he kind of lets the man ponder for a while and think about this. So now we're going to see how he's got his spiritual sight. And what you're going to notice as we read the next few verses is that it came gradual. At first he sees Jesus as a man. Then he sees him as a prophet. Let's just read and see. Um, it's, it's true today, though. Sometimes it takes people a while to really believe in God. They've got to hear, they've got to think, and hear and think, and, and gradually they come to faith. Some people come to faith very quickly. This man, it took, well, in the big scheme of things, it only took a day. It's all in the same day. But figuratively, it may take some people years. I have a friend named Bob who came to church with his wife for years and years and years. He read through the Bible, read through the Bible, and then one day he says, I believe this now. And he was born again. It took a long time for Bob. I think we're in verse 8, aren't we? Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? I love that. He says, we think it's the same guy, but he looks different. Isn't this the guy? I mean, he looked different because he had eyes. And they were open. They were looking around. And he was engaging. And he wasn't begging anymore. You know, when Jesus gets all of a life, there should be a noticeable change. I imagine the countenance of his face, face was lifted, don't you think? A different, different person. Is this the same one who used to sit? You know, I hope when you become a Christian, or when you became a Christian that you didn't just go right back to the same old begging lifestyle, the same old pitiful world. I hope that there's been a change. I hope people notice it. There sure was with this man. Verse 9 continues, Others were saying, this is he. So others were saying, no, but it's like him. So everybody's talking about him. He's standing right there. And he says, he kept saying, I am the one. Don't you love that? Hey, you guys, listen to me. Don't talk about me. Let me tell you who this is. I'm the one who used to beg. I mean, we should be the first one to tell people. The reason there's a change in my life, because God got a hold of it. He transformed me. He changed me. I can see now where once I was blind. Verse 10. He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. I went there and I washed and I received my sight. This blind man, all he knows is that it was the man called Jesus. He'd heard of him. He knew his name. He knew about him. But as of this point, he's just calling him a man. You're going to see his uh, eyes begin to open as we continue to read. I like the next verse. They said to him, where is he? He's asking a blind person where somebody went. I was blind. I don't know where he went. I can't see. I don't know where, where is. I, this is my first time seeing. That's what the temple looks like. 
That's what the countryside looks like. Where is this one person? I didn't know what he was wearing. I don't know what he looks like. He says, I do not know. Verse 13, they bring in the experts. They said, this is a crazy thing we're seeing here. This is all happening. And so they have to bring in the experts, the Pharisees, and let them examine this man. Verse 13. They brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on that day when Jesus made clay and opened the eyes. When the Pharisees were asking him again how it was he received a sight, he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, I washed, and I see. Therefore the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. That's their conclusion. I mean, he worked, he made clay on the Sabbath. He anointed someone's eyes. That's some sort of physical treatment. He's pretending to be a doctor. He's working on the Sabbath. He healed blindness. And so they look past the miracle, and they looked at some petty thing, saying he did it, he worked. How much work does it take to make a little mud and put it on someone's eyes and tell them to go and wash? But others were saying, verse 16 continues, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. There's always going to be a division when you're talking about Jesus, let me tell you. Some are going to believe, and some are not. And these people did not agree about this. And by the way, Jesus didn't break the law. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. And he fulfilled it 100%. What he was breaking is their man-made traditions about the law. And the Bible says, don't work on the Sabbath. So they came up with all these things that qualified as work. Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't break it. Verse 17, So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? What's your opinion? We're divided here. You seem to know the most about this man. What do you think about him? He said, He's a prophet. Oh, I see a step up the ladder, don't you? He's saying Jesus is a man. Now he says Jesus is a, a prophet. Jesus is more than a man. The more he thought about it, the more his opinion raised, raised up, grew, progressed. You know, the more you really think about Jesus, the more you read about him, the Bible says faith comes by hearing the word of God. If you want your faith raised, think about it a while. Read about him. Love on him. Listen to him. And that's what happened. This man has now got a higher opinion of Jesus. Verse 18 the Jews did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received a sight, until they called his parents of the very one who had, been, had received a sight. And they questioned them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? So they want some verification. They say, Hey, this guy was blind. At least that's what he says. Maybe he was a faking it. Maybe that was his uh, way of not getting out of work, of not having to provide, is to pretend to be blind and big. So let's talk to the parents. And they pled ignorance. Surely they knew about this situation. I'm sure this boy, the one person he would tell would be his parents. 
Why did they do that? Why did they plead ignorance? I'll tell you why. And this is a sad, sad thing. They were protecting themselves. They lied to protect themselves. Look at the next verse, verse 20. Uh, 20. His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son. That's verified. And we know that he was born blind. But now, how he now sees, we do not know. Or who has opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Isn't that pitiful? They knew. I mean, the, the young man said it was a man named Jesus. Surely, he told his parents that a man named Jesus did it. Oh, we don't know who did it. That's pr- pretty sad. You know, in Jewish culture, excommunication from the temple was the second worst fate to death. The only thing worse than being excommunicated out of the worship of Israel was to die. And that's exactly what they were afraid of. Look at verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Did you hear that? Now we know why he answered that way, because they were protecting themselves. Well, we better not say Jesus. We better be careful what we say, because we'll be put out. Verse uh, 23, for this reason... the. He said, the parents said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24, so a second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. They said, come on, confess up. We know that Jesus is a sinner. He can't do this thing. He can't heal. He's not the Messiah. So this man answers. Well, whether he's a sinner, verse 25, I do not know. One thing I know is, though I was blind, I now see. I was blind, I now see. How do you give an answer to that, Pharisees? All I know is that something happened, a miracle happened in my life. I'm changed. I don't know how. I don't know why. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Isn't there a hymn like that? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So that's a simple testimony. He says, I don't know how it happened. All I know is that it did happen. And now he begins to hint that he's beginning to believe. Look at verse 26. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Ooh, he's talking pretty strong to the Pharisees, isn't he? He's already told you this. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciple too, do you? Oh, look at the next verse. They reviled him and said, you're one of his disciples. You're his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. So he's now kind of associating with Jesus, isn't he? Jesus is a man. Jesus is a prophet. You want to become a disciple too? Like like maybe I do. So there's a good chance this fellow is moving forward in his faith. Verse 29. They answer him, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he's come from. 
The man answered and said, Well, this is sarcasm, by the way. Well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Don't you know what Isaiah said? Messiah is going to open the eyes of the blind? What do you mean you don't know? You're the experts of the law. Who else can open eyes but the Messiah? It's a sign of who he is. Verse 31, we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does as well, he hears him. So this is the man answering that. He says, God doesn't listen to sinners, but he did listen to this man, so he must be something more, someone more. Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard that anyone opened a man's eyes, the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Well, we see his faith growing. He was a man. Then he says he's a prophet. Now he say, this man is sent from God. This is more than a man, more than a prophet. And they answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? Oh, that, oh, that uh, arrogance of these Jewish leaders. Like, we have all the answers, and who are you? And they put him out. What's that mean, put him out? Put him out of the synagogue. Put him out of the worship. He was excommunicated. Wow. By the way, this man is not saved yet. He's not really met Jesus. He's not really understood who he is. He has his eyesight. He says, I believe he's a prophet. I believe he's sent from God. You know there's a lot of people like that? They believe Jesus was a good teacher. They believe Jesus was a prophet. They believe Jesus was a miracle worker. But they don't quite step into the Jesus as God. And I trust him in my, with my life. You know, some people will miss heaven by 12 inches. The distance between the mind and the heart. They know all about Jesus. These Pharisees know all about the law. They know all about the prophecies from Messiah. This man knew that Jesus was a man, that he was a prophet, maybe sent from God, but he's not saved yet. He doesn't get saved to the last verses. Some of you have grown up in Christian homes, and you've had the gospel all your life. Some of you have gone to Christian school. You come to church with your spouse, and you've listened, and you know it all. You could probably answer a lot of the Bible trivia questions. But if you don't have a relationship with Christ in your heart, you're just as blind as these people. They put him out. What a roller coaster day. It was the best day of his life and the worst day of his life. Best day of his life, he got up that morning thinking he's going to be a beggar, and he gets his sight back. He's got all this attention. All these people are asking him questions. He's now the center of attention before he's forgotten. Now he can see his parents. But by the end of this day, he's put out of the synagogue. He's, he's cast out. He's excommunicated. He's cut off from church and family. But Jesus didn't leave him in this pit. Didn't, didn't leave him in his spiritual blindness. Like the good shepherd who looks out for a little lamb that's lost, Jesus seeks out this man. Now, where was Jesus when all the crowds are around? I don't know. But Jesus finds this man, pulls him aside, and talks to him. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out. 
and finding him, I like that verse, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Who found who? Did the man find Jesus? No, it says Jesus found him. Jesus is seeking the lost. And Jesus said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He didn't recognize him because he was blind the first time they met. He didn't say, There's that guy that healed me. And just another man came out of the crowd and began talking to him. He said, Do you believe in him? And he goes, Boy, I wish I knew who he was. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You have both seen him. Don't you love that? He's never seen him before. He said, You're seeing him. You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You don't worship a prophet. You don't worship a great teacher. You don't worship a man. He understood at this point that Jesus was more than all that, that he was the Messiah, that he was God in flesh. He says, I believe you are the Messiah, the Lord. And he says he bowed down and worshipped him. Even in the word worship means to, to be on your face in front of somebody, to kneel. You know, many of us, like I said, have been around Christianity a lot, and we've yet to bow our knees. We've yet, yet to surrender, yet to really meet God. Just knowing about him is not enough. This man had to come to the point where he said, I believe, I trust, I put my life in your hands and worship as part of that. You know, I say this too because I believe most of you probably here are Christians. I'm assuming you're here at Calvary Chapel, you've been taught, but there's always occasionally somebody that just comes along and just blends in and they don't know Christ yet. They know a lot about him. They grew up in Sunday school. They know that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. They know the songs, but they don't know the Lord. So I always encourage people, even in a church full of Christians, if you're one of those who's just been on the sidelines, making observations, like my friend Bob, maybe it's time for you to say, I want to be born again. I want to trust Christ. I want to believe and give your hearts to Christ. Let him open your spiritual eyes. I also say this because some of you are praying for blind family members and you've about given up. They're never going to open their eyes. Well, you know, there's some that do open their eyes right away. Some respond very quickly. Some it takes years and years and years. And it's a gradual progression. But they're moving forward. They're pondering, they're thinking, they're listening. So you need to pray that God opens their eyes. They may, they may need Increased light. They may need a little encouragement, a little teaching, a little more seed, a little more cultivation, a little more time, and a whole lot more love. But if you keep moving them forward, encouraging them, maybe they too will come to the point where they say, I believe, and they'll worship. So don't give up. Hopefully, God will open their eyes. Now, there's an interesting ending to this story in verse 39. Jesus says something very profound here. And it shows the two sides of ministry. Are you ready? Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Do you see that? Jesus came that some may see, but his coming is also going to make some become blind. 
He's going to bring, bring sight to some and blindness to others. There's a dividing point with Jesus, isn't there? You know, some are going to choose him and some are going to reject him. And it could be progressive either way. You see, the Bible says Jesus is both a stumbling stone and a foundation stone. Some are going to stumble over Jesus and just go gone and be blind and be hardened. Those who seek truth, God will bring more truth to. Those who resist the truth, there's going to be spiritual darkness that's going to overcome. Their blindness will progress. Their hearts will become hardened. Their conscience will become more seared until they have no response to God at all. Their blindness progresses in the same way that insight progresses. You're either going forward or you're going backward. Let me encourage you, don't harden your heart towards God. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then it says God hardened his heart. He hardened his heart, and then God hardened his heart. There comes a point where there's almost a, a point of no return. We don't know what that is. So we pray and hope that people will, hearts will break. But there comes a point where people become hardened in their attitudes towards God, and, and the word, the seed, does not penetrate that stone, stony heart. Look at verse 40 and 41. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these sayings and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. Because of your arrogance, in other words, you can't get humble enough to to find God. That's a haunting last three words there. Your sin remains remains you're you're religious you're a Pharisee you know the laws, you know the the prophets you know God's word you're teachers your sin remains knowing all that stuff is not enough it's knowing Jesus is what makes the difference ask God to soften your heart to give you eyes that are open ears that are open to hear what he wants to say If you do that, God will reveal himself to you. He revealed himself to this man. He sought him out and revealed himself to the blind man. And if you're open, God will reveal himself to you.